Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Monday morning. A lot of sports over the weekend. The NBA Finals, the critical fifth game goes to the Milwaukee Bucks. Down 16 on the road. They hadn't won in Phoenix in the first two games. And they are the first team to break through in this series and win a road game. They get it done. Great rally, great finish. Middleton comes up big again. Kempo's good again. Holiday had a game. I think you can make an argument is he having a bigger impact offensively or defensively in this series, having to having to match up with Chris Paul, but heck of a game from the Bucks all the way around. They get the win. And I think there's a couple things, maybe even more than that, to really look at here. But the first thing I would look at is the Bucks playoff experience. They had high expectations the last two years. They had the best record two years ago, and then the bubble is a little different. But there were still expectations for them. They didn't get it done. And I think they are being powered right now by that failure. I think it really impacts Anta Tekempo. He had a great answer and a press availability. I think it was Friday. Um, about staying in the moment, not thinking about the past, not looking ahead. And as he said it, it just felt like he's had this explained to him. And then he's touched the stove and felt it was hot. It's re- it really makes sense to him now. The way he said it, sometimes you get in those press conferences. It wasn't a Zoom call. It was an old-school press session. They're having that during the NBA Finals where there's reporters in the room. And I guess he's got, at least on some level, a relationship with the reporter who asked him. And he really got into the answer. He's talking about how when you live in the past, it's, uh, it's kind of your ego. You know, I, I did this. And I did that, and we did this, and we did that. And you're kind of reveling in your past successes, but they're just that. They're in the past. That's why Bill Belichick says, on to Cincinnati, right? The past is the past, and it's done. At the same time, Ante Kempo said, you don't want to get out in front of yourself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that, looking ahead. Um, so that's, that is uh, your pride talking there. So your ego when you look back, your pride when you look forward. And he talked about really needing to stay in the moment. The only thing that mattered was right then. And I think that helps when you're down 16, and it was early. It was only after one quarter. Um, it's, you don't try to get it all back at once. Let's go win this possession. Let's go win that possession. Let's win this possession. Let's win that possession. And you get your way back in the game. And especially the way people shoot the threes now. You know, just getting a couple stops, if you get a three and you get a bucket and you get a three, that's an 8-0 run. So that's half of that 16-point deficit right there. And the Bucks are very good in transition. And the Suns, at times they look like they're handling well, and then sure enough, they give up a couple. Uh, sometimes off the turnover, sometimes off long missed threes and the long rebounds. But one way or another, the Bucks have found a way to get out and run in this series. And it has helped them. And they have now won three in a row, and they stand right there. right at, They're coming home with one game to win the title. You can't really ask for more than that. Would have signed off on that a long time ago. And they were in trouble against the Nets and needed overtime in Game 7, and they got there. And they were down 0-2 in this, so now to have Game 6 is literally the best possible scenario. And... Onto Kempo just seems really dialed in. Now, is he going to go for 40, or is Middleton go for 40? Do they really need that? No. Booker's been good. He's been very good. He's been great at times. I mean, 40-point games, you can't really argue with that. I saw a stat. He's the first player to lose 
two NBA Finals games uh, when he scored 40. Usually that's a winning number, and he's now 0 for 2. But can he make the plays in the biggest moment? And will he get a, a little tougher and have a little more of an edge? It's not that he doesn't. I think he does have that. Uh, but does he have it to the level he needs it against the Bucks? Now, the Bucks, you know, they went through their tough times. This is the Suns' first trip to the playoffs, and they made it through three rounds. And granted, all those teams had major injuries. Jamal Murray and Kawhi Leonard, and, and then you get to the well to the Lakers. The injury came in the middle of the uh, the middle of the series to Anthony Davis after three games. Uh, but he, but anyway, it, w- it was a big plus for the Suns in each of those each of those injuries. Really, you know, that's the best player, the second best player in all three of those teams. So they got some breaks along the way, but they won some big games along the way. But man, this this is a real hole and. They haven't been in this situation before. Monty Williams is saying they can do it, and maybe they can. Maybe they will. It'll be a great story if they do. It'll be a great story either way. Uh, that's the beauty of having fresh faces of the finals. That, that is the beauty of not seeing the Warriors and the Cavaliers again, of not seeing Stephen LeBron again. So it's Tuesday night for Game 6, and I like Milwaukee's chances. We were talking about this on Friday, just this toughness and grit they're showing, and they got some trends going their way. Middleton plays better the deeper you get into series. And that is proving true again. And he's coming up for him. They've had different role players step up at different times. And they got a lot of momentum. And you always want the momentum in the playoffs. And uh, and Monty Williams just preaching, hey, we need to win one game, put him on the plane, and get him back here. If we do that, we'll be in great shape. And you still have to win game seven. And now they got the confidence of winning on the road. So it sounds good. I don't know if it's true, and we may not get to find out. I expect Milwaukee to win in, in six now. Uh, I really did like the way they played in game four. It really caught my eye, and even though it was tied, it felt like it felt like Milwaukee was in a good spot at that point. And I'm a guy who thought Phoenix was going to win at the start of the series, so uh, it's not like I can sit here and say, eh, I called my shot, because I didn't. Uh, but it just it feels that way watching Milwaukee now, and they've, they've hit their stride. And now in games – Five, six, and seven in this playoffs. They're now five and one. And those games late in the series, the Suns are three and two. And yet the Bucks coach has been taking heat for not making adjustments. But somehow he's five and one when they get deep in series, when you get to game five, six, or seven. So apparently he's made some adjustments. <laughs> oh, well, that narrative can't go away fast enough. That storyline, goodbye. See you later. All right, DJ and PK, that is the, uh, that is the NBA basketball. And then there is the... Um, Here's the international basketball, and the U.S. beat China. The U.S. got down early, rallied in the second quarter, made it close, took the lead in the third quarter. Did I say China? I meant Spain. Uh, they beat Spain. I don't know why I said that. I said that a couple times. I said that once off the air, too. They beat Spain. They beat Ricky Rubio, the uh, former Jazz point guard now with the Wolves, who, for whatever reason, plays way better and scores a lot more points and shoots a lot better in international play. The rules help him with close to three-point line, whatever it is. Whatever it is, he's way more effective in the international game than he is in the NBA. Uh, so Spain is, if you go through the world rankings, Joe was talking about how Australia is three. Well, Spain is two. Uh, Joe Ingles, when we had him, I was talking about Australia being ranked third. Spain is two, and the U.S. is one. This is the biggest threat, and there's tons of guys on this team, uh, starting with the Gasol brothers, 
uh, with Ricky Rubio, but there's some other guys too. I think they've got like half a dozen guys who've had NBA experience, and Spain's been together for a while and won. So they look good. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what kind of threat they are and how things play out in the games in Tokyo. But for the U.S., that was a nice win. They had the Friday game with Australia canceled. They're down a bunch of guys. Um, it's a huge problem. They're waiting to get three guys from the NBA Finals, although those guys may be emotionally gassed, depending on how this plays out. I don't know if you can win the biggest games of your career and then turn around and try to win some more really big games. <laughs> that seems like that seems like a big ask. And they're going to have someone coming in off a devastating loss and someone coming off an exhilarating win. And I think in both those situations, think that those guys are now going to give you a huge lift in the Olympics. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I always root for the U.S. <laughs> it's what I do. I don't ever rem- remember rooting against the U.S. team. What would the point of that be? Um, not just in men's basketball, but in any sport. So I, it was a good win, though, for the U.S. to beat Spain, to beat the second-ranked team in the world, and to do it shorthanded. You know, Bradley Beal is out, and Kevin Love says he's going to play. Kevin Love wasn't giving him anything anyway. So. I know they're adding uh, McGee there, and, you know, is that going to make a big difference? Well, it can't hurt. I don't see the downside bringing JaVale McGee in. Um, some size, some athleticism. If it doesn't work, you go with a smaller team. You may end up, may end up playing a lineup where Durant's the biggest guy uh, and the only true big, even though he's not a true big. I mean, he's a seven-footer, but he's seven-foot-ish, right? Uh just go with a bunch of six foot and six seven guys. Lillard shot it really well in the game. That that helped. He made some big threes. That was a big deal. So as always, being lined up and shooting it well. But it's just hard to know anything for sure because after they get through the group stage, which I think the US will do all right on, you get to knockout play. You just don't know. It's like the NCAA tournament. You have one bad game or somebody else has a great game. And the US still has a lot of talent, even though they're missing a lot of guys. But how much room for error do they have? They, you know, they've gone there with loaded and stacked teams. And, you know, if some guys are having off nights, you just run out another all-NBA guy. You run out another guy who scores 24 points a night. But they've had a lot of elite guys opt out. So if they're on, they can get it done. It's not impossible. They can certainly do it. But are they going to be on for those three knockout games? That's, that's going to be critical. And it's, it's hard to know. They're 40-minute games, not 48 that's another thing that makes it a little easier for upset. The more you play, whether it's longer games or the series, the more you play, the more the best team is likely to win. Shorter the game, no series, one game knockout, uh, single elimination, anything can happen. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up, you realize we're like 10 days out from the NBA draft? I mean, it is bearing down on us here. Uh, and, and other offseason possibilities for the Jazz. Obviously, drafting at the end of the first round isn't ideal. Maybe they'll trade up. They've done that before with great success. Are their partners, are the guys they want there? It's really quiet about who wants who around the NBA. There hasn't been a lot going on. We talked with David Locke about some of the offseason possibilities for the Jazz, and uh, we will do that coming up. We've also got uh, Bronson Kafusi, Green Bay Packers. Uh, been a defensive end, now – trying to move to tight end. You'll hear from him coming up as well. Stay with us. David Locke next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I know we've got one or two games left in the NBA season, and then we've got Olympic basketball on top of that. But the NBA offseason and this compressed year, this bizarro schedule, 
uh, it's about to get really interesting. We are 10 days away from the draft. We are two weeks away from free agency. There could be trades associated with either one of those. So whether it's the Jazz altering their team or other Western contenders altering their team and impacting the Jazz, this is going to be interesting. What's going to happen? We had David Locke on late in the show on Friday to talk about some of the possibilities, where this might be going, strengths and weaknesses for the Jazz and for the other teams in the West. Here is David Locke with PK and I. David Locke, his weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. And David joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why the Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. There's a lot going on all at once, and something is sneaking up on us, and it's one of your favorite things. But the playoffs are later than normal, and we got the Olympics in an odd-numbered year, which is unusual. And so the fact that we are now less than two weeks to the NBA draft, and there has been so little discussion of it locally or nationally, and now the Jazz are are bringing people in in a combination of COVID times and, and maybe just the organization's attitude this year, hey, no word. It's all quiet. It's on the down low. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Yeah, those, those media sessions that we get to talk to the players don't seem to exist this year, do they? No, no they don't. They're not. So uh, I have a question for PK or what? you. I was running numbers on draft prospects today. Josh Christopher? And I did not get to Josh Christopher. Uh, um, Chris, how do you pronounce it? Out of Oregon. Durat? Oh, Duarte? Yeah, the Dominican kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I like him. 24 years old, though, so that's like he's 24 playing 21-year-olds. Like, that's a huge red flag of, like, a really good way to make a draft mistake. But if you're drafting him, I don't know how early he's going to go, but his numbers are, like, maybe as good as anyone in the draft. Like, I mean, he's in the 94th percentile in spot-up shooting. He's in the 96th percentile in catch-and-shoot. He's in the 98th percent. He's in the 94th percentile in off-the-bounce dribbling, which shows creating. Um, he's not great with playmaking. His athleticism numbers, which I think are um, isolation and transition, are both terrific. Again, he's 24, playing 20-year-olds and 19-year-olds. You have to be really careful here. So tell me about him because I obviously I've not seen him play, but six six one ninety and kind of that set of skills seems interesting. Yeah, he was a guy. I think it got better and became way better than I thought he was going to be early on, and. I like his ability. I didn't realize he was 24, though. Uh, I mean, I know that he was older, but that is a big difference, you know, when you're going six years. But at the same time, when you look where the Jazz are drafting, how much will that factor in? Because it's not like it's a stab in the dark, because I think that the drafts, I think there's more better players to have an awkward phrase. So I think you're seeing deeper into the draft you can get guys how much do you think that they would be concerned about that age, given where they're drafting, opposed to if they're drafting fifth or whatever? I mean, I think, right, you're looking, you know, Desmond Bain was old last year, and yeah, that yeah. was a good pick. Exactly, there, right? yeah, so, yeah, precisely. Later in the draft, it's, it's when you do the Wesley Johnson, Epe Udo, you know, frankly, Jimmer Fredette, um, older picks early in the top ten that really there's a terrible track record on it um, that you have to be really careful with. Um, and that I, uh, locked on is doing a, it's called the ultimate mock draft. And we do it in collaboration with Odyssey, the, the media company. And, um, it, it, as, a, as a massive five day podcast, the 
kind of serious podcast that goes out. And I, as the 30th pick of the draft representing the Jazz, had uh, two trade offers on the board. One was the, I think, 45th and 46th pick from Toronto, and the other was the 44th and 49th and 58th from Brooklyn. Would you would you guys have taken either of those two deals? Ooh. My instinct is to say no. No. <laughs> that was mine too. Yeah. So I took the Brooklyn deal. Say it to uh, us. My, Give us the Brooklyn deal one more time. It was kind of like 46 and 47. Or no, theirs was 43 and like 49 and 58 or 50, you know, something like that. So it's three seconds. One of them a little earlier. It also depends, too, how much the, uh, the organization and the folks in charge have zeroed in on player or players. And did they see something? Because obviously you look at and they saw something and you were the first guy to tell me about it. Uh, what they saw in this gangly dude from France. And, right. and, I mean, they hit a home run there, clearly. You know, the Mitchell thing, he was much higher in the draft. So you can that, – that type of thing happens I, more I guess, often. Yeah, I guess our responses are what they are, but until you know the conviction that uh, the scouts and the, and the front office have in a player, and not just their conviction and the player's ability to be good, but what they believe of how other people around the league are assessing that player. That's when you really our, – our answer is just kind of doubt in thin air for what it's worth. Um, so my – So, like, so with, my, just to say to go to Gobert, like, if you are really have a lot of conviction that you got to go get him, if you know someone wants him at 30, you've got to make the deal that gets you in at 27. If you know somebody wants him at 24, you got to make the deal that gets you to 22. So ours right. is what you asked us is kind of in the abstract without having the conviction in a specific prospect or prospects. And I looked at it as we're a luxury tax team. The chances of the 30th pick of the draft helping us in the second round of the playoffs is limited. Hmm. You're giving, I don't, I'd rather use that. The 30th pick has got a guaranteed contract. I'd rather use that same money on a veteran minimum. And you're giving me three assets, probably one of which I select, two of which I move to become future second, one or two of which I move to become future second round picks. And, you know, Matt Thomas didn't work out, but that second round pick often is, you know, a trade deadline way to add a piece to the puzzle or something of that sort. Um, so that was a little bit of, that's a little bit of the way I viewed that. Okay. And just, you know, this is what I do, obviously, to take the opposite side if because you are a pretty doggone good team, you may not need a whole lot. So uh, just to use a Bane as an example, you know, he can hit a few shots for you in that second round. So do you roll the dice on that? You're not asking for a lot, but the kid's got a skill that you can use. So on Desmond Bane, let's use that as an example. I know it's touchy because we passed on him and he had a good year, but I'm not actually convinced. Like, I think he's good. I like him a lot. I think he'll be a good NBA player. I'm not convinced he actually helps us in the playoffs last year. And frankly, as that series went on, he did less and less for Memphis. Um, now, on the other end, Terrence Mann, right, out of nowhere, just destroyed us. Yeah. So, and that's a second-round pick. Um, so, so, but I, 
I, I didn't get a vibe that I thought Terrence Mann was going to, or that Desmond Bain was ready to have, um, you know, was ready to have that kind of um, impact in the playoffs. So, um, you know, and maybe that's not fair. I mean, I just, I was, I was less sold on him by the time I watched that playoff as a guy who I thought was going to go, you know, make a massive impact in the playoff series. And, you know, he's good, but that's hard to do as a young player. Well, I guess as long as I'm talking about, you know, how the, the level of conviction that uh, the, the coaches and the management have in, uh, in current players to be thrown into whatever prospective draft pick. You know, I think it was you either a week or two ago, maybe it was somebody else, but I'm pretty sure it was you, who was talking about offseason moves for the Jazz, and instead of having basically the third team roster spots, you know, 10 or 11 through 15, um, instead of having them be young guys on the way up and projects, and there's a certain argument for that, but do you take half of those six spots or so, since they had a nine-man rotation, and put three of them into veterans, which is kind of what the Clippers did, and then when they had a lot of guys going down, they could you know, ham and egg it and plug somebody else in. Uh, do the Jazz have to look at these guys who've been developmental and say, uh, it's not working, we got to go in another direction and clear some room and some space there? And so I maybe mean, you three- do have room for this year's first-round pick because you've made decisions on these guys who've been on your roster for a year or two. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, there's three there's three sides here. So you go get the veterans. I think what the veterans also allow you to do is get navigate the regular season. Like, all you, Phoenix did this right. They have Langston Galloway and each one more, and Frank Kaminsky, and there's somebody else on the end of their bench. And those are all veterans. None of those are young developing players. They're all guys that have been released or basically let go by the team they had, and they were signed as minimum players. And so I think that helps you through a regular season. Now they turned out to be particularly healthy. Um, and we, you know, did it the other way where you're trying to find the young developing next Royce O'Neal, next Joe Ingles that you get on the cheap, and then you're able to um, get a few years out of them while you're while you're developing in Hughes and Juwan Morgan, et cetera. The one that's interesting, and so there's two different tiers on this. One is a regular season version, and verse one is a playoff version. And and then there's the third actually is probably a long term. So let's go with three. So regular season, like what Phoenix did, those guys can all play regular season. Etwan Frank Kaminsky, and they should be able to play playoffs. But what I do think is interesting is like Frank Frank Kaminsky is actually just not good enough to play in the series right now in the NBA Finals, right? So they have this veteran on the end of the bench, and yet they're just not willing to play him because he's just not good enough. Well, if you're not going to if he's not going to do that, then why have a veteran, right? Like then I'd rather have a young kid. But if I have a veteran who maybe is on his last legs like a Marvin Williams or someone like that a few years ago. And I know that if we get into the playoff series and something goes wrong, I'm okay playing him. Then I like that, but I, I'm not sure I like the veteran who you have on the roster, but then when it gets to playoff time, you actually realize he's just not good enough to play. But I know the young kid's not like, that's the problem in this equation is I know that the chances of Elijah Hughes is a second round pick Juwan Morgan is undrafted free agent. You know, these guys at this point in their career, in their first and second year, are very unlikely to be able to contribute in a playoff series. Now, are they going to contribute as rotation players three, four, five years down the line? Maybe. They're not as likely to be on their cheap contract at that point, though. So that's it gets a little tricky. Are there guys out there who maybe fit in between? So there's somewhat of a veteran, but they're not uh, playing as much. And can they be plucked out there? Does that does that player I exist? Think, 
I think what you're alluding to there is what's called the second draft. So guys get drafted by their first team and it doesn't work because it's a bad fit or whatever reason. And then you pick them up on the second draft. So that's like what people tried with Jabari Parker, Cam Reddish in Atlanta seems to be like a prime candidate for that at some point in time here. If he doesn't, you know, he had a good playoff little surge there, but he otherwise has not been great so far. So it's the draft pick that does not have success in their initial spot. And then you as a team are trying to figure out, is that because of the fact that they, you know, Trey Burke, right, has actually had some success since he left Utah, but not great. Yes. Yeah. But also when Trey Burke is picked up as the way Dallas picked him up and he gives you like four surges during the year, that's totally fine when he's your, you know, ninth pick of a draft and he he's just playing, you know, giving you only four surges a year, it's not okay, right? So the perception of the player changes, what you're asking out of the player, what you're paying the player, what their role on your team is is different. And so sometimes players are more successful in their second draft. Yeah. Okay. And, and if they do re-sign Conley, then I think a, a guard like that could really help because a lot fell on Joe at the end of the year, and he was telling us how gassed he was bringing the ball up because Donovan was hurt too. And so do they have a veteran who doesn't have to play all the time, who knows their team in the league, who realizes their value and their spot on a roster? You know, that might be something they need to look at going forward. All right, and Joe is actually – well – the Jazz did a bunch of analytical research on Joe, and he showed no signs of aging, and then he backed going into last year, and he backed that up. There are a few numbers in my book, and they're not nearly as researched as the Jazz analytics that say there's beginning to be some signs, and that number's real on Joe, right? Like, like he's not, it doesn't, it, I'm not, I'm dyslexic, but I'm not reading 23 anymore, right? Like, um, so I think you have to be really careful on how you use Joe as well. Yeah. And, All right, Joe David. and Joe just hasn't had that playoff impact that we would want, which I think is important in roster building too. Like, you know, he just hasn't. Now there have been extenuating circumstances every year that, you know, there's a reason whether it was the bubble or just whatever other, you know, he was tired going into this, the end of this season or whatever those extenuating circumstances are. Um, but he just has not had the playoff impact for what is probably your fourth or fifth best player, and I think that is important when you build this roster as well. David, we have many more questions about the offseason, but we will save them for another week. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you very much for letting me move around today. I appreciate it. There is David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, talking about the possibilities over the next two to three weeks of how things can really change for the Jazz and for the Western Conference. When we come back, things are changing for college athletes. Uh, the name, image, and likeness thing is underway. Guys are signing deals, trying to make stuff happen. It's business. Their heads are spinning. Uh, but there are opportunities out there. Bronson Kafusi used to play at BYU, defensive end, played in the NFL for a couple teams, now on his third team, the Packers, who are trying to change him into a tight end, which he says is really back to the future. Bronson Kafusi joins PKNI next. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision loves teachers. If you're a teacher who needs LASIK, Davis Vision wants to give back. 
Schedule a free consultation appointment and inquire about additional savings to their summer sale price. Call them today at 801-253-3080 or check them out at davisvisionmd.com. Bronson Kafusi, Green Bay Packer tight end, former BYU Cougar, is going to join us here momentarily. We'll hear from him. Former Cougar who has played for the Ravens and the Jets, and now the Packers are uh, turning him into a tight end. He's a defensive lineman along the way. Will he catch passes from Jordan Love or Aaron Rodgers? That is the question in Wisconsin. That and will the Bucs win the NBA title? You got a gut feeling? The legendary PK gut feeling? Aaron Rodgers is being really quiet. Yeah, it seems like he's uh, drawing a line in the sand here to uh, force something. I don't know what. I mean, normally in these situations, uh, you're dictating where you're going. Not just that you're going, but where you're going. I mean, there's not that many of these situations that come around. No, there aren't. And the most recent one, although it seems to have been smoothed over, at least for now, is Russell Wilson. And we heard the reports, well, they've, they've given the team four teams he's willing to go to. So, like you say, dictate where you're going to go. Yeah, he's much younger. I was thinking along the lines of Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. It was you know, pretty well set up. Well, that was a, 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 a more amicable departure because they had Andrew Luck coming in with the number one pick and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so different circumstances, but the premise of the star leaving later in his uh, NFL life is similar. So, man, I, I just don't know what they're going to do there. I mean, it's, something's got to come to a head here shortly. We've been hearing about it for weeks and months. Rodgers is cryptic whenever he gets nailed down, which hasn't been very often. So, All right, it's time to bring in Bronson Kafusi, Green Bay Packer tight end. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Bronson, good morning. Good morning. How's it going, guys? It's going well. I can't believe I'm introducing you as a tight end. I've been used to as a defensive lineman. How, how, big, <laughs> a, uh, how big a jump was that for you mentally, and, and how easy was it for you to make? You know... It was definitely a jump, but it's a it's a really it's a natural fit. A lot of people don't know that I was actually recruited as a tight end to BYU uh, initially. Um, but in high school, I played defensive end because at Timview we didn't use a tight end. So I'd go to all the Nike football camps, Under Armour camps, and go play tight end and get offered like that, <laughs> and then come back to Utah and play defensive end in high school. So it's been it's been a nice it's been a it's been a nice transition for me. So you were taken by Baltimore coming out of college. Now this is sort of like a, a, the draft again in a sense that an undrafted free agent and you can choose. How did the process work for you ending up choosing the Packers and them choosing you? Yeah. So so after so while that, after I was at the Jets playing at the tight end, you know, really just working on my craft, making that transition, and then after I left. Uh, or after the 2020 season, then the Packers called and they said, "Hey, we'd love to, we'd love to have you join us." And I said, "Great, let's do it." Um, and so, yeah, it's been great. It's been great so far. I'm excited to get back out there during training camp and get after it. So, what's the single biggest thing you have to change? You know, what I found the biggest, the biggest thing 
Oh, I'd say two things. Number one is the, the mental game. Uh, offense is such a different different game than defense, I would say. So you have to you really have to, you know, think a lot more before the ball is even snapped. Um, and then I would say physically you have to change a lot because uh, as a tight end, you, you have different movements. So, you know, the D end, you're always, you know, exploding forward. Everything's forward. As a tight end, you have to be able to move in all directions. And so being able to, you know, change your, for me, change my, change my hips, change, um, you know, how I operate in that sense. I think that was one of the main things I've been focusing on. So what's the competition look like at tight end for the Packers? So right now, um, it's awesome. They, they love using their tight ends. And so, uh, you know, we have you know, fullback type tight ends. We have tight ends that do a lot more receiving. And then we have tight ends that do a lot of the blocking. And so uh, I'll be in that position. And I'm grateful because I'll be able to learn from uh, Mercedes Lewis. Who's there. He's going in, I think, like 16 years or 17 years now. Um, but he's, he'll be, he's been great. He's been like a really great mentor for me. So I'm excited to keep learning from him. So the game's evolving over time, and certainly there are exciting, thrilling tight ends who get down the field and make big plays, but there are also tight ends who are really like a, a bonus tackle. So when they mm-hmm. work with you, how much are they, do they, is the emphasis split evenly between those things? Is it uh, more one way or the other, more blocking or more uh, receiving? Yeah, I felt like it's split pretty evenly. I felt like we practice, we practice everything, but uh, I think that's one thing, though, that really sets uh, you know, guys like Mercedes and myself apart is, you know, we can play, we can, we can go one-on-one with the, with the pass rusher on the edge. And I think, you know, they'll definitely um, use, use that strength to our advantage. So, uh, but you still, I mean, yeah, you're, you can always go out and run routes and catch the ball. So I felt like we've done a lot of, a, a lot of both. So have you perfected or worked on any form of touchdown celebration when you catch one? (laughs) Oh, man. You know, everyone will tell you I'm not the best dancer, but I got something (laughs) cooked up, though. I got got something cooked up. You got to have some kind of Polynesian dance in your back pocket, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got a a few of them. They'll be ready. They'll be ready. (laughs) Okay, wait a minute. You're a Packer. So you've got to have the dance ready in case you're on the road. But if you're at home, you can't pass on a Lambo leap. <laughs> got to go jump up there. Yeah, you, you have to. That's a, that's that'll definitely be a must. <laughs> yeah, but at like six six two seventy. He's what, an what, athlete. What, what, what kind of hops do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I got to get up there, you know. <laughs> totally. I'll be good though. I'm wondering, have you got to know Jordan Love at all? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I love Jordan. He's awesome. Uh, you know, we definitely uh, connected, and um, just him from being at Utah State. I feel like anyone in the, in the NFL that is from a, a Utah team, you definitely always gravitate to, just because you're from a similar area. Sure. So yeah, I uh, yeah I got to know Jordan really well during uh, OTAs. So how much were you able to follow BYU season a year ago, and uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely followed it. I was, you know, I was excited, and that that was that was a great, great year. I was, I was just glad that they were able to play all the games that they played, and, and you know, glad that they won a lot. And and when you win, you know, good things happen, and so it helps, it helps everyone. So I thought it was, I thought it was great. 
You see any similarities in terms of the attention that being a Packer gets as far as being a Cougar in Provo gets because, you know, smaller places and all sorts of interest and passion between the two teams and the cities that they're in? Yeah, that's an interesting point. I would, I would say, yeah, definitely. You know, you, you, uh, you definitely get a lot of uh, attention. Everyone really knows who you are, you know. You can't really go anywhere without someone knowing, oh, yeah, that's a football player. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, but with that, you know, yeah, that's, it's great. The fans are awesome. Just like, just like here, the people are great in that community, just like here. And um, they, they love, they love, you know, they love, the game they love supporting the team they love their players you know they uh they automatically you're automatically in the fold as soon as you as soon as you show up so very similar to uh byu here here in provo yeah bronson kafusi joining us former byu cougar made the switch from the d line to tight end for the packers now after byu you're with the ravens then the jets now the packers obviously zach wilson is going to the Jets, and it's a different deal because he's number two pick in the draft and a quarterback. But what would you tell him about the Jets and New York? Yeah, I would tell him uh, just to thrive, you know, really really just enjoy the moment, you know. I mean, it's a great opportunity uh, for him. And, uh, you know, the, over there, the great, they're just great people, and, and I hope that they, they win a lot of games, you know. So you're involved uh, with the uh, NIL for the colleges, and, and I understand your brother's got something going on, uh, uh, Devin, at the U? Uh, yeah, so, well, actually, I just launched a new tech startup called Connect NIL, and it, it connects businesses to college athletes. So it's, really, it's really an awesome thing. It makes it really easy for the athletes and businesses to connect. Um, just because I built it, just because, you know, I saw players, and athletes in college, um, you know, do school, do their sport, and then go work a job or two. And so I, bu- I built it so, you know, they don't have to uh, – or they can take advantage of the NIL opportunities. And so it's a, really cool, it's a really cool thing that I just launched. And, yeah, my brother Devin joined on. He got a first deal done with Jam Skateboards. So I'm just continually uh, you know, adding more companies and adding more – adding more athletes to it so they can, they can all benefit. So is this something that's centralized here in Utah or does it go beyond? It, it, it'll, right now, I'm, it's starting here in Utah, but it's definitely going to be going out and beyond. <laughs> and it'll be going fast. <laughs> okay. So do you view this as mostly a, a digital thing for people who are really involved with social media? Do you think this is more about appearances uh, you know, brick-and-mortar stores and, and staying close to campus. Uh, wh- where do you see the most opportunity? You know, for me, I feel like the most opportunity are the, the businesses that surround the different schools um, just because, you know, if a re- you know, the restaurants, you know, they can get on there and they can create a, uh, they can create a, a job opportunity and say, hey, we're going to have uh, the, the BYU offensive line come and eat on Friday night and then they show up and, you know, and they can structure the deal how they, how they want. And so I think it'll, it'll be such a huge opportunity for the, the local businesses, honestly. And also, you know, the 98% of athletes that don't get these massive deals, this will be a great opportunity because we're helping them use their a name, image and likeness with 
the fact that they're members of uh, a college, you know, a college athletic team, and then they can, uh, you know, go and take advantage of that. So that's interesting that you say the 98%, meaning you're acknowledging that obviously most of the uh, players, men, women, won't receive these big-type deals. But you do believe, though, and get your thought on this, that there is limited, however that might be, depending on where you are and what position you play, what type of personality you have, that those other, that 2%, as you say it, could cash in to what level? Yeah, so I feel like both both, both the 2% and the 98% will be able to use Connect NIL um, to their advantage and be able to, and it's honestly, it's a win-win for the businesses as well. Um, because you, you get a, they get a deal and you get a deal and we're just kind of the, the middleman there for them. Um, but I think both will be able to use it just because it's an easy, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, such an easy thing to, to sign up and apply for a job opportunity that a local business, uh, has listed there. So I think both will be able to, and it depends, uh, how many deals that a college athlete wants to do. I think that's one reason why I built it the way that it's built is so that, college athletes, they can go out there and hustle for themselves. So I think that's that's one of the main reasons why it's built the way it is. So if I'm right, you're 30 now, right, Bronson? Just turned 30. <laughs> so when you're talking to these uh, college students, do they feel like peers or now a 20-year-old seems like they're 50 years younger than you? <laughs> you know what? Uh, I just, for me personally, I... I kind of, I just know, you know, where they're coming from. And I was, I was, I was one of those college athletes where I was strictly focused on, uh, you know, sports and school. I didn't understand how the, you know, kind of like the business world works around me. And so now that I've, you know, I own some companies, been in the NFL now, uh, I'm, and I'm, you know, just I, with the little experience that I do have, I use it so I can help other college, uh, athletes and so that's why you know when nil when it pretty much went off a lot of the college athletes started calling me asking me for help and so that's from there it led to let the connect nil so uh i i do feel like it's almost like a responsibility for me almost like an older brother to help to help these college athletes in this transition and so that's why i'm excited for them so they can uh take advantage of it and use connect nil to do it so this idea of this business that you're starting is how much of it is you looking at yourself saying, hey, I'm 30, and the lifespan of an NFL player, as we know, isn't very long. We hear of these, whoever it might be, the Peyton Mannings and the John Elways of the world. Well, they're the exception. So how much of it is that you understanding here that you're going to have another 30-plus years without football, so you got to do something? <laughs> See, yeah, and that's a, that's a big thing. <laughs> glad you brought that up because that's a big thing that I try to uh, you know, help other athletes see is it's okay to do things off the field, off the court that will help you further in your life. And I started, I started doing a lot of off the field uh, businesses and ventures. I'd say about three years ago, it really, it really hit me. I was like, Oh man, I can do, <laughs> I, I can actually do a lot more than just play sports. And, and so I just jumped right into it and uh, had a lot of fun doing it. And I feel like athletes should always be doing doing things that can 
you know, set them up for life after after the game. Bronson Kafusi, Green Bay Packers tight end, joining us. So, what are you doing with the off seasons to launch this? Are you purely on this? You got all the eggs in one basket, or are you juggling other stuff too? Looking forward. Uh, did you say what am I uh, focusing on outside of? Yeah, uh, I was wondering if you if the NIL was everything you were doing, or if you were juggling multiple things with your downtime in the off season. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I I do a lot. Uh, my brothers and I open a company called Survival Zone, um, where you can enter to enter a free chance to win, you like a UTV or truck, and um, you can buy different survival gear on there. And each dollar is an entry, and so I, yeah, we I do that. I'm into cryptocurrency. I love real estate. Um, I uh, I mentor a lot of uh, a lot of athletes. Um, I, I let's see, I'm expecting a baby girl coming in September too, so that's good. Uh, so now I'll have two kids. So yeah, I'm doing a lot. <laughs> I'm uh, but I'm also training training every day because that's the, that's the main thing. So keeping the main thing the main thing training, studying, um, getting ready for training camp. So uh, you got kids. Are they already getting recruited? Your your wife played college sports too, right? Soccer player? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The funniest, I think the funniest story, yeah, she played. So Hillary played uh, goalie. She's about, she's really tall too, about 6'1". And I remember when my son was born, <laughs> I remember I came home or uh, came back from OTAs now, in that day, I remember uh, Coach Pope calling me and saying, hey, because he, he coached me when I was in college at BYU, like my position coach. And he was like, hey, just so you know, I'm his first offer. I was like, all right, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Tyka, my, my son's name is Tyka, so he's a, he'll, be, he'll be a little athlete. I'm excited to watch him. Uh, he's a Kafusi, so that's a given, I, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> Bronson, we appreciate a few minutes. It was good catching up, and uh, good luck with the Packers. Hey, thank you. No, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. There is Bronson Kafusi of the Green Bay Packers. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Stay with us.